Welcome to Collector's Corner, the premier NFT art podcast. We help collectors gain and maintain their edge, all while appreciating amazing art. We're excited to help you in your collecting journey. Let's dive in. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Collector's Corner. We have an extremely special episode for you. We're super excited because today Jared and I are joined by the one and only Zeneca, who is known by essentially everybody. But for those of you who may not know him, Zeneca is the founder and CEO of the Zen Academy and the 333 Club, which are both communities dedicated to helping people onboard to Web3 and become leaders in the space. Additionally, Zeneca is a co-founder and co-host of the Two Board Apes podcast, which is awesome. Everybody should listen to it. He's also the creator of the Zeneca 33 newsletter, and he's advised and consulted for over 100 Web3 projects to help them reach their goals. And I just want to add on top of that, Zeneca is a proof collective member. He's uh, probably a member of some other group you're in. Everybody knows him and loves him. And that's because he's just a great all-around person who genuinely cares about helping other people in the space, whether it's there's a down market or don't get too hyped or, hey, you should check out this thing or all the various advising he does. So Jared and I are extremely excited to have him on here. And this is a bit of a, a special episode in the sense that we will be really talking to Jen, uh, sorry, Zeneca and picking his brain on generative art because it is perhaps a little bit less well known that he's a huge generative art and NFT art in general fan. So we are too. And that's why he's been so gracious to join us here. And this will be an audio only episode, but we will, of course, put everything that we talk about in the show notes. And yeah, I've talked way too much. Uh, this will be an episode where I talk less for once. And <laughs> let me throw it over to Zeneca. How are you doing today? I'm doing very well. Wow, what an intro. Thank you so much for having me here. I'm really excited to chat about whatever, especially generative art. And uh, yeah, it's sort of an in- inside joke in my team where anyone can be having a conversation. If they mention art blocks, I just like pop up and I'm just there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, amazing. That, that, that sounds like me and Jared. And, and I would... Be remiss to not introduce my wonderful co-host, Jared, who is uh, at Jared underscore pause online. How are you doing today, Jared? I'm doing exceptionally well, especially since we're here with Zeneca and you and I chatted earlier. So it's a good day all around, my man. Yes, absolutely. So there are a million things we would want to ask Zeneca, but being as busy as he is, he doesn't have a ton of time. So let's go ahead and jump in. Zeneca, you know, we wanted to first highlight your work and really you as a creator in the space. And we'd love to hear just what motivated you to create your your newsletter, the podcast, Zen Academy, all, all the stuff you're doing. Maybe you could walk through folks kind of what the genesis of that was. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, it's kind of a big story. Let me step step back a second. And and before crypto and NFTs, I was a professional poker player for 15 years. So that's what I did before this space. And then I got into this space early 2021, like February, March, and spent a few months sort of just figuring stuff out, eventually got into like trading and flipping and was finding success doing that. And then around June, I think June or July is when I launched my newsletter, probably June. And then like a month later came the first podcast, Two Board Apes. And the reason I launched my newsletter was I love writing and I've always wanted to have a blog. I used to have a poker blog back in the day and then that fizzled out. And then I tried to create like a food blog or a travel blog, never took off because there's a billion of those. But then when it came to crypto and NFTs, I was like, hey, this is something I'm really excited about. And there really wasn't too much content out there. And I, I know that I learn better by 
writing. If I have to explain a topic to someone, if I have to write about a project, I need to research it first. I need to understand it. So it was, it was kind of pretty much selfish reasons to, to begin with. It was like, I enjoy it and I'm going to learn by it. Let me just start and see see what happens. And it kind of like started to sort of take off. People started sharing it. Like I, I would try and post about it in discords and, and share it in Twitter threads. And eventually people started organically sharing it. And I was like, hey, this is kind of cool. And it was, it felt nice to have people appreciate my content and, and share it. And coming from a background of professional poker, it never felt like I was adding value to the world. It's like the world does not need professional poker players. Poker players are just not adding, contributing to society in any sort of meaningful way. And then I, it's kind of the same with like JPEG flippers. The world does not need people flipping JPEGs. It's just, you don't really add to the space. But creating content and my newsletter, I was like, hey, this is awesome. I enjoy it and people appreciate it. What's this warm, fuzzy feeling <laughs> inside that that comes along with helping people? And so I was like, hey, let me just keep like leaning into this. And sort of I got more and more invested in like creating better newsletters. And then the podcast Two Board Apes came along because my friend Jamie and I, we had always wanted to do a podcast. Like whether individually or together for like 10 years. We've loved podcasts and we've been friends for a really long time. And then we recently got Bored Apes and a lot of people were doing things with their like ape IP, like coffee or, or beer or, or t-shirts. And uh, we were like, hey, well, maybe let's just start a podcast. And it was just for fun. And, and it, it hasn't really taken off. It's not like a huge podcast, but we have so much fun doing it every week. So uh, that's how it all began. And then it just sort of spiraled into... Chaos, like just madness where I'm now. It's just like the amount of content that's being created. I, I don't even know how I got to this point anymore. Yeah, that that's amazing. And, and you know the the reason of starting the podcast being that you just enjoy it is resonates perfectly with us. I mean, Jared and I would just get on the phone. He was the first person I called that I met on Web three, so that was like a a step. And just we would just talk about this stuff and we're like, why don't we just record this? Like maybe other people mm. are having similar problems, similar issues with figuring out like, which Meridian do I buy? They're expensive. I don't even know how to think about this. And mm -hmm. uh, yeah, so so that's awesome and amazing that you, you've gotten to where you are in the sense that not, not, I mean, kudos to you, you've done all the work, but you're such a big figure in the space and you help so many people. And I think that starting from such humble beginnings, it's it's an amazing story. Yeah, it was. I just pinched myself like all the time. I had. I remember like when I started my Twitter account in in March last year. It was to follow other people and just to like be a fly on the wall and like find out about projects. And then I think it wasn't until June when I was had my newsletter. I was like, maybe I should try and get more followers and just see how it goes. And I think I had like maybe I had like. 400 followers or something. And I remember telling Jamie, maybe it was May, but it was one of those months. And I said, Jamie, do you, do you reckon I can get to a thousand followers by the end of the month? And he was like, yeah. And then I said, what about 5,000? He's like, no, don't be ridiculous. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it's just eventually I started posting these floor price updates on, on Twitter. And that's what really exploded things. And it was just like, I don't know, I got to like 120K by the end, something like that by the end of the year. It was just madness. And it was so much right place, right time. The entire space was blowing up and people were flooding into the space. And I was just, yeah, I just found these this piece of content that everyone seemed to like and share and uh, just got swept up with the ride. I appreciate the humility, but it's also one of those things that you, in observing 
kind of the way you navigate the space. You've always approached in a very selfless fashion. And and I think, I don't want to put words in your mouth. I'd love to hear this, but it, it appears as though you have the approach of bring more value than I extract. It, it's one of the the ethos that I believe I believe P and I embrace and you know we're leaning into for our podcast and collector's corner also. One of the things I I and I just want to tell you, A, I admire it. We admire it. And I can tell you just based on your success, the the community absolutely admires it also. So thank you for everything you do. One of the 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 questions I have for you is based on that selfless approach, like what is it that motivates you in that process? Yeah, first of all, I appreciate you saying that. And that that is sort of my approach and mentality. It's uh, if you lead with giving and, and try to help people, like good things will just happen and, and the rest comes along with it. Um, and in terms of, of motivating me, honestly, it just, it feels good to help people. It feels good to add value. It feels good to do good things. And so at the end of the day, it is everything we do as humans is, is ultimately selfish. Like it, we are thinking about we, we, our actions are designed to help us survive and feel good. And it's a beautiful thing when you can do things that help others or that, that benefit society that also make you feel good. And, and that's sort of like this wonderful point that I've found myself in where, yeah. I, and like, so there's this Japanese concept called Ikigai which is effectively, it's like a Venn diagram, but with like four circles where if you can do what you love, do what you're good at, do what the world needs and do what you can get paid for. It's like this perfect center point of like, I don't know, contentment or happiness. And just, I've magically found that. And I I think I'm incredibly lucky because I would venture that most people go through life without finding that. And I was very much on that trajectory, but yeah, it's, I'm here and it's, um, it's just, I, I pinch myself every day. We take a, a moment to take in the fact that the former poker player talks about bringing value and your your previous career was all about extracting everybody <laughs> else's poker chips for your yeah. own. It, it's, it's somewhat poetic, man. I love it. It is. It was, yeah, I never like fully reconciled with that fact as, as a poker player. It always felt like not quite amazing. And uh, yeah, uh, I, I was very much over it. So I did it for like 15 years and the last five years at least, maybe seven, I was like one foot in the door, one foot out of the door and trying to find something else. Uh, I went back to law school or I went to law school like 2016. That didn't stick because that's <laughs> just not for me. But uh, and then, yeah, I mean, you know, what does the world need less than professional poker players? It's another lawyer. <laughs> you know, it's funny because, well, first of all, you're, again, very humble. I, I'll choose to believe that you're doing this altruistically, even though you, you make the claim that you get a lot of benefit out of it. Uh, and I'm, I'm not sure you do, but I think, again, you're giving up more value than you're taking in. And that's that's amazing to see. And I think that it's great to see as one of the leaders of the space to kind of bring that ethos to other folks who, who look up to you. And it, it's funny that what you were talking about with going to law school is, you know, I actually, I love doing this and I'm nowhere near where you are. I don't have a hundred thousand followers and any of that, but you know, we're going to keep chipping yet. away. Not yet, not yet. May not be the great, the best timing for it, but that's okay. Cause I, I just love doing it. And, you know, we see one person on YouTube saying it's really helpful. Like that feels awesome. 
And uh, I I was going to be a dermatologist. I was a doctor and that was not very meaningful to me. So I think that there's a lot of way to find meaning and add value to the, to the world. And I, I used to th- I used to feel like, well, does the world really need another dermatologist? Like there's plenty of people that pop pimples. And so I, I totally understand that sentiment. And uh, actually, perhaps that's a, a great segue into, you know, I've been watching, of course, uh, what you've been putting out online and it sounds to me like you're you're working on something that is is bigger. I, I think I saw a tweet where you were like, you know, kind of thinking, okay, well, maybe there's a bigger way I can help people and and bring it value. Is there anything about what you're working on that uh, you can share or would like to share? Yeah. So I've got my two communities, Zen Academy and the Three 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 Club, and they both launched in November 2021, November last year as kind of an experiment and a way for me to effectively make a living and and be full-time in Web3 doing something that was Web3 native. So I was creating a lot of content and you you could do a lot of things sort of advertising, sponsorships, uh, advisory consulting, Patreon membership subscriptions, all that kind of stuff. But it seemed just too web two to me. And I was like, well, let me just sell an NFT as a membership. And and a few projects had done that before. Metaverse HQ, uh, MetaKey, VFriends is kind of like that. And so I was like, took some inspiration from them. And I said, well, how about you get access to a community? The three through three club was for founders and builders. And I would use some of my time to help advise them. And Zen Academy was much more open and much lower price point for anyone wanting to learn. And it was it has been an amazing experiment and ride so far and i i very intentionally had no roadmap i said all right i'm just going to try and we're going to have a discord server and this is this is it we're going to figure it out as we go along i want to create more content i want to try and help people i want to bring people along for the ride um there's definitely a focus on education but i, I don't know where we're going to be 6 months a year 5 years but i'm just going to keep working building and trying to do good things effectively in the space. And so like for the first several months, we were just basically still just Discord server trying to do the same things as all other projects. We did collabs and giveaways and um, AMAs and um, NFT NYC. We ran an event, but there's nothing particularly special. And now we've sort of just... And and all all the while I've been like building up the team. So like people have been... Either I've been like asking them to join or they've been asking if they can join. Some people were like volunteer mods from the beginning and now they're like, significant members of the team and it's just we've grown to like 15 to 20 people which is really kind of wild when i think about it It was literally just me a year ago and and we're in this position where we can effectively or efficiently do a lot of stuff and we have like we have the the people power effectively to to execute on things and it's such a, a fun and exciting position to be in where i can have ideas and we can just be like all right let's we we can do that and and let's put it into motion let's get a plan together and let, let's execute on it so I've been thinking effectively like what what are the next phases for Zen Academy uh, the parent company the business is called Zen Labs like what are we going to do and a big part of it is thinking about alternative revenue streams I think and it's something that's not really sexy a lot of projects don't necessarily talk about it but it, it's sort of been in the conversation more and more in the last few months where you see creative royalties coming into question especially for the 10k projects projects taking on VC funding and the question comes into play it's like how do you sustain the project as a business do you just sell more nfts to your community do you hope that they sell nfts back and forth and you get royalties and then to me those aren't excellent ways to 
support the business. And I personally don't want to take on VC funding. So we've basically designed several ways where I think we can turn the community and the the brand that both I have built and cultivated and and Zen Academy and 333 Club have built and cu- cultivated and, and leverage them into ways to generate revenue um, in meaningful ways that I think sort of support the community and the community can support them. So one um, one example is basically spinning up like a consulting or advisory arm within the company because I get approached a lot of the time to advise and consult for projects. Uh, people on my team are now getting approached and and there's just so much inbound demand for advisors and consultants. We can really easily take on clients and generate revenue that then supports the rest of the community. Another area is effectively media and, and content, which is I've got multiple podcasts. We have multiple newsletters. We have YouTube that we're doing now. And it sort of comes back to it, ironically like Web2 models, but there's a reason Web2 models work. It's because you can generate significant revenue in ethical ways without having any individual necessarily have to pay. And so, you know, that's like affiliate links, which uh, maybe some people think that they are not great, but I think you can do them in ethical ways. Like, for example, Ledger has an affiliate link and I, I support people using hardware, hardware wallets. And if if we can, as a business, get 10% on pe- purchases, then I'm happy to promote and support a product like that. So effectively leveraging the entire brand in a way that generates revenue and then we can do cool stuff for our community it's that's the direction that we're thinking and moving in and then and then we do want to do a pfp project which is again ironic because when we launched a year ago i very intentionally said i do not want to do a pfp project this space does not need more pfps that's the last thing we need but we we've reached this interesting point where now the community is asking us for a PFP project and they want one because it adds this social identity piece and this community cohesiveness where it just sort of makes sense. And, and you know, w- when we think about why we do a PFP, the answer is fun. Like, it's like, all right, it's fun to have a PFP. That's that to me, that's a good reason to, to do a PFP, to um, launch a game, to build a clothing brand, to do something specific. I think that is really difficult and and most of those ideas are going to fail. But I think if you already have a community and then you launch a PFP, to me that it can work that way. So yeah, a lot of things in the the pipelines. You and I were talking about this and you brought it up today about execution and hearing Zeneca talk about execution just warmed my heart. I mean, I don't know if you have more to say on this, but my personal opinion having run and help grow a substantial amount of businesses in my past and trying to start one in web three right now it's you know what you're doing is is next level that that was for anybody listening go back rewind the last five minutes take some notes uh, i mean it's it's absolutely flawless i look forward to to being an observer of the execution man that that was that was really I appreciate that all, all I heard was alpha, new PFP. No, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, uh, look, that, that is incredibly smart, the way you're approaching it and thinking about it. And I just want to make a couple points. So like a tiny bit of context, after I was a somewhat of a doctor, after I was a doctor in training, I went into management consulting, and then I pivoted into doing independent consulting on business model design. 
with the idea that in the U.S. healthcare system, everything is is fee-for-service where you pay for every little thing that you do as opposed to paying for keeping someone healthy, which they call over here value-based care. And that's more akin to the NHS in the UK, et cetera. But the idea is that you're changing your revenue model. And this is, I think, a big problem in Web3 is everyone, well, not everyone, but a lot of people kind of jump into a a token launch without realizing, well, if, if you want to get ongoing value from your community, you have to deliver ongoing value. And that's where a subscription model just makes a lot more sense and is a lot more aligned. And, you know, an affiliate model makes a lot of sense in situations where you actually believe in that affiliate, like you were describing. So I think a lot of what you're saying makes sense. And I think folks who are thinking about being creators, I mean, we are ourselves. The reason that Jared and I have these discussions is because we are literally trying to think about, okay, like we want to do this full time. This is awesome. How do we pay the bills? And like thinking through those those nuances there. So um, that's that's awesome. And uh, can't wait to see how that shakes out, of course. And if you ever want business model design help, let me know. Because I love... I may take you up on that. <laughs> He's one of the most underrated people in this space. Like his background leading up to this is absolutely admirable. It's part of the reason why I was drawn to him. You don't do a good enough job promoting yourself, Pete. But Astom is like next level, smart, intelligent, driven go-getter. I mean... That's what I love about this space is and collectively we can all rise up together. You know, it's it's brilliant. Well, and 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 you know, I don't like to talk myself about myself. I like to talk about Gen Art. So we 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 will switch switch okay. over to that. Okay. I can I can get on board with this. <laughs> I see what you did there. But, but I gotta say, you know, Jared, like one of the things that I love about Gen Art is and I, I'm not saying this is not the case in other parts of Web3, but the people who are really into it, there's such a variety. Like I've met all sorts of people on like Block Talk, the Art Blocks Discord. And you get to talk to them. And it's like, oh, you're like, you know, uh, a dentist or a lawyer or you started some companies or like, you know, you're this crazy machine learning person. I mean, it's it's been so fun that I'm like kind of friends with these people now that I never would have touched walks of life before. Professional poker player turned you know, uh, web three expert, like it's just kind of cool. And so maybe Zeneca, like what, I guess what initially drew you into NFT art and generative art specifically? Money and, and, and the prospect of, of making money. I think if a lot of people are being honest, that's probably the first thing that attracted them. And yeah, I mean, that's what attracted me to crypto and NFTs in the first place. It was like, I was playing poker and then now I had some friends that were making money in this space. And I was like, well, maybe I can earn money in in this space and specifically art blocks it was um one of the one of the first nfts i ever minted was um on art blocks i think it was hieroglyphs yeah hieroglyphs and then aerial view came later and it was because i was in a group chat with some friends and and one of them said hey this is open for minting i think it's probably worth minting a few you could probably sell them for a few x in a couple of months and that was enough for me to be like, all right, let me let me go and check it out. I have no idea what I'm minting, but it was at that point, I was early enough. I had I didn't even know how to find projects that were open for minting. And I bought, I don't know, two, three, four, I can't remember exactly. It didn't mint out. And you know, floor price was like didn't mint out for a while. Floor price was just below mint for a while. And I was like, oh, well, that didn't quite work out. And you know, a few weeks later. But I became aware of Uplocks and then sort of I had joined the Discord, I think then or like soon after. And one of the next drops was a curated drop and it did mint out pretty quickly. And then it was immediately going for like multiples of mint price on secondary. And I was like, 
that that's cool. And it, it looked great as well. It was algo algo bots. And yeah. And, and so I was like, all right, that's really cool. I'm I'm bummed that I missed that. Let me let me try and keep an eye out and, and get in on the next one. And that then I got into the this process of all right, let me mint one. Oh, I can sell it for like a 4X immediately. This is really exciting. And to me, at that time, that was like significant amount of money. If you mint something 0.1, I could sell it for 0.5. I was like over the moon. And it just drew me in. And then it's sort of like, it was this process where then every single week when the curator drop came out, I was like, my life revolved around it. And I was like, all right, I got I got to mint one. And, and like it became a bit of a gas war. And then somewhere along the way, like I was doing other stuff in the space as well and, and finding some success flipping other things. And then it got to the point where I, like, I might mint two or three, but then I wouldn't flip them. I was like, all right, I got to keep at least one. I like that. And then I, you know, you just get sucked in. And then the more time you spend, especially after I found Block Talk and, and having people like mint out projects and talk about the, the mints as they came through, it was like, it was just, just, just beautiful process where I was like, just slowly fell in love with the art and learned more about generative art and what it was and spoke with the artists. And then, yeah, just, I remember I bought a, a, a crypto voxels plot of land and and started like creating my own gallery and like I would hang on my my generative art and and other NFTs and it was just really fun to just at collect and uh yeah then then I was just slowly always building on my collection and uh you know even though I was still flipping because I didn't have infinite money no one has infinite money and, and especially starting out you need to at least then it was just mandatory and extremely profitable because of the way the market was just going crazy I but, but I was just slowly building on my collection and it just got deeper and deeper and then June, July, August came around and it was just the most fun exciting time of my life. It was it was insane. Do you have any regrets from something that you may have flipped from an art blocks mint that uh you wish you could have back? <laughs> you know, hindsight being 2020. Oh yeah. Uh I mean there's lots, but I, I sold three Fidenzas for under one ETH each and uh for a while that it it never like never really bugged me that much. And it, it still doesn't because I minted four. So I still have one. And I've always been able to focus on the one that I have. And even I think that if I didn't flip three, if 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 let's say I had just minted one, I might have sold that one. Or I, I could have very easily had zero, I guess. So yeah. But but ob- obvious regret is just selling them. But uh again, like I'm they, they minted them for 0.17. And was selling them for like 0. 0.6, 0. 0.8 within a few hours. And like that was crazy money to me at the time. So I just, I was on top of the moon. Uh, and and then, then they were like six ETH a week later. And I was like, oh, probably, probably shouldn't have done that. But how did you keep, how did you decide on the one that you, that you keep? Uh, it was just the rarest one. Like it, it was a rare palette. It was soft shapes, which, which I like. It, it was nice because it was the rarest and it, it like, I, I liked it aesthetically the most. So, yeah, it's absolutely brilliant. Yeah, that that that's awesome. I really, really want one of the Fidenzas. There are a few that are spiral, but it ends up having a P on it. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. my name, I, it'll, it'll probably great. never happen. It's you know, no expectations. But one day, but yeah, but perhaps, perhaps you're right. One day, it's it, it, you're right. <laughs> yeah. No, that's that's amazing. So, okay, you started to get into the art. Did you ever have like uh, an artistic appreciation? Did you care about art growing up? Not really. I definitely not growing up. But then probably my 20s, late 20s, I started to enjoy like just, 
I did start to enjoy like appreciating art. Just like if I was traveling and there's a museum in a city, I would go and, and enjoy it. I really started to get drawn to impressionism and, and Monet I really liked and, you know, would, would see some of his exhibits and, and appreciate it. But it was never, I'd never bought art before and I never imagined collecting art. It was just sort of like a, and I, I never really sort of went too far out of my way to look into or appreciate art. You know, I read a couple of books, but it was never, it was never a massive part of my life until NFTs. Yeah. And the reason why I wanted to ask you is because I, I figured you'd say that. Well, okay. I didn't know, but I, I guess you might say that. And I was the exact same way. I was completely left brain, math, science. Like I never thought I had a creative bone in my body. And then I started getting really interested in NFT art and I, I wasn't making any money. In fact, I was, I was somewhat losing money when I was buying the the art. Uh, but I also came from the money and ended up staying for the art less successful than you, but I just, I just started really getting into it. And I, I almost wonder if this, if there's some kind of like, a, you know, it's like generative art makes art cool for us more techie people. And if there's almost like this, like we always wanted to like art and now we can, and it's okay by our peers. And I, do you feel anything of that? I think there might be something to that. Yeah. Like it's, it. There's something like really cool about the tech behind it and like appreciating the that it's all from code. It was it's just like yeah. And and I think you could even go to another extreme where there are there are people who maybe are purists and they they look down upon generative art because they think there's no soul in involved or there's no emotion. There's too much of a disconnect. It's created by a machine. And uh to me, that's a beautiful part about it. But but to to some they might think, you know it's lacking. So I think, yeah, there's definitely something to where maybe you're in my brain uh, a little more have a proclivity towards uh, appreciating generative art than others. You know, I, I think it also comes down to accessibility. You know, like you don't have to get on a plane, fly to New York, go to the MoMA, you know, shout out to mm-hmm. the MoMA and getting into digital art. And, yeah. and, you know, I think that naturally and inherently people are drawn to beauty. And you can say whatever you want to about generative art, whether it's real art or not. But you look at something, and I don't know anybody who doesn't look at a Fidenza and feel something viscerally in their core that there's something beautiful about mm-hmm. that. And the more people, I mean, the, the like, we just released an episode on Ringers, and I admitted that I'm more of a Ringers fan than Fidenzas, which is like sacrilegious in this space. <laughs> but the reality is, is that it's undeniable when you look at a Fidenza there's something emotional about it and it draws you in. And I think that that's one of the things for generative art that I absolutely love. Like there's a little bit of gambling, right? Which you're accustomed to, right? Cause you, you mm-hmm. click that mint button. You don't know what the hell. Oh, it's out. so good. But you know, you also, you, you, find, you have an emotional connection to it after it's done. You, you don't have to browse, you know, the, the, the gallery or whatever it is. So that's a question that we have is, and when it comes to generative art, do you have any preference of like long form versus short form? I mean, your background right now is essentially a one of one. You know, are, are those, you know, we're starting to see generative artists, you know, Emily G did uh, a Tezos drop of five. She she did a bright moments of a hundred. She obviously has memories. So do you have a preference on long versus short form? Any opinion there? I'd say no. Uh, I don't think I have a strong preference at all. I I appreciate when the addition size and the algorithm 
work together in like a really harmonious fashion. And, and we've all seen projects where there might be a thousand mints, but everyone is like, well, that probably should have been 200 or 400. And there's a lot of repetitiveness. Um, and occasionally there's, there's a drop where there's not many and you're like, well, there should have been more. But that that's a, d- a double-edged thing where it's like, well, it keeps you wanting more. So maybe, and maybe if there was more, it kind of would have ruined it a bit. And, and that's an interesting piece. But uh, I would say, yeah, like less is generally more. And, and so like I, w- I would tend towards the slightly smaller edition sizes, but then you get something like Fidenza or QQL, which is like, well, look at the diversity in the, those algorithms. Uh, it would be almost a, a crime to have only a hundred Fidenzas when the algorithm could support a thousand uh, quite clearly. So yeah, I, I, I would say I don't have a preference personally. I think you hit the nail right on the head. At least that's this is something that P and I talk about all the time is like, an output that fits the algorithm. And when you can hit that nirvana, it's like, and you hit a great point, which is like, I wish there was more, or was it perfect? You know? And I think yeah. that's like something that's uh, brilliant about gen art is it, it, it invokes conversation even further after that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, I agree with you on that. I've had many conversations lately about, well, even what is long form, uh, which is a, a whole nother rabbit hole. I will say the one thing that I, personally have a strong preference for. I'm curious to hear your take is I, I really enjoy the the blind minting experience where you click the button and you don't know what you're going to get. Even if that was like a one of seven, I would prefer that experience to already seeing it before I am bidding on it or, or trying to buy it. Yeah, I I agree. I like I love that element. And that's why I will almost always try and mint like say an Outblocks curated or a collection that I really want. Even if there are times when I'm like, 99% sure that the market is frothy. There's going to be a ton of bots. There's going to be people and then the floor is going to dip. And then, you know, you can certainly buy one for like a 50% discount if you wait a day or a week. Uh, I will still generally try and mint because I love the experience of I don't know what I'm going to get. And I get to go and, and look at the reveal and and wait to see. And yeah, I, I love that aspect. Maybe it's the, the gambling <laughs> background, the, the, the DGEN, but it's just fun. And, and to me, it... Yeah, like there's something nice to the alternative as well, where you can go through a collection and, and pick out the pieces that speak to you. But and and I definitely uh, I I like that artists are also experimenting with that sort of not quite long form version. Where what was it? Tectonics by uh, MP Cos was was a recent example where you know that was a really great, well put together set. It wasn't um, minted at a time of purchase. And it was auctions based on uh, a, a collection that he had curated or they had curated. But and, and I think that's amazing. But just for me personally, I prefer the the uh, vending machine element, as Snowfro would say. Yeah, yeah. We actually talked about Tectonics, and I had this this the same take where I think they looked awesome, but I would have mm-hmm. wanted to mint one rather than bidding individual. Like it was an individual auction for each one, uh, mm-hmm. which also uh, sort of priced me out of. A lot of them, or at least in in, in theory, uh, and uh, I, I won't belabor the point, but I I want to send you a podcast later, uh, which is uh, just basically that this minting experience is essentially the maximal dopamine like experience from a neuroscience standpoint, which is super interesting to hear. I, I think you get a kick out of that if if you have a chance to listen to it. Uh, but you know, you, you touched on. A lot of points there, which I think are a great segue into you as the the collector. Uh, I think you're famously a, a great collector. 
And I'm curious, uh, you know, and you write a lot about collector psychology. And for folks who don't know, I'm sure they do. But your letters to Zeneca are, first of all, amazing branding. It's like perfectly on point with the times as well. Um, but you have some really great letters, a lot of which are around trading psychology, some to point out or, or 20, number 24, infinite regret, number 28, evolving precedents, number 29, impossible expectations. Those are great reads for anybody and almost literally anything, even if you're not in NFTs, it's, it's just great psychology in general. Do you have any uh, advice or do you modify your sort of principles there for collecting art slash generative art versus other NFTs that may be, say, more like DGEN type plays? Yeah, definitely. I think when it comes to like other NFTs, DGEN plays, your, your average PFP project, basically, I think it's a very different mentality. And I would say for the most part, most people are not collecting those even though they're like, like ostensibly meant to be collectibles most people treat those as short-term investments maybe medium-term investments whereas when it comes to generative art or art there's definitely an element where people think of them as investments but i think there's a lot more of a collector element and a personal connection element and a a beauty and appreciation element so i think i mean the golden rule of art blocks or generative art or just art collecting in general is, is buy what you love and can reasonably afford. And I think that that doesn't really apply to PFPs and, and, and DGEN projects. There, you're really looking at, all right, who is the team behind the project? Um, what is a roadmap? What are they planning? What are they building? What is their vision? Uh, how are they going to support themselves as a business? What are their revenue streams? Is this likely to be worth something to other people who want in? All of that kind of stuff. And from an investment standpoint, um, art is relatively low in that list for myself um, and for a lot of people. And definitely there are some people who are like, hey, the art is really cool. I'm going to buy that. I'm going to use that as my PFP. But for the most part, I think most people care a lot more about the other things or a lot about the other things. Whereas when it comes to generative art, yes, there's some element behind wanting to know obviously the artist and and their background and their other works and um, all that kind of stuff. But, but for a lot of it, it's like the art and the collection and the algorithm sort of stand on their own. And, and that's what people are buying. And there's this a bit of this mind, mindset where it's like, well, even if it goes to zero, at least you still have a beautiful piece of art. And it's like, well, there is value in that, which is something that, you know, I, you can't say for a lot of other collections. Um, I mean, you, you can, but it's, it's just sort of, it's different. Like it, and it's, um, not that like PFP projects don't have amazing art. I think Doodle's art is great. I think Azuki is fantastic. But just simply by like there's 10,000 Doodles and and let alone this, there's expansive collections. There's going to be many, many, many more. And sure, you can get one that looks great, but it, it doesn't really have that same level of uniqueness or, or collectability, collectability to my mind, like uh, me as a collector, than say generative art where, I don't know, it just seems a little more special to me. Yeah, I... I, I totally understand what you're saying. And I think to some extent, you know, if, if you have a doodle and like the community has fallen apart there, I mean, even if it's worth something, it's kind of like, well, well, what's the point? Whereas mm -hmm. your art, you can still display it. You can still look at it. You could still appreciate it. I mean, if that value has gone away, there's, there's no community needed, so to speak. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I saw a statistic on Twitter about like, you know, there's only 3,200 Andy Warhols ever like created and it kind of puts some stuff into context for me, right? Um, I mean, obviously the the value of those, the collectability, but also the fact that, you know, when we're talking about a Fidenza, 
there's only going to be a thousand of them. There's only mm-hmm. going to be what is currently out on the market. There's not going to be a studio producing more. I'm sure somebody could hijack the algorithm and and do some sort of spinoff. But you know, at the end of the day, the blockchain is king and it ultimately is going to dictate provenance. It's going to dictate mm-hmm. all this. And and that's a really interesting perspective, Zanika, that you had on PFPs versus art. I, I do you feel comfortable or would you share like what percentage uh, split right now you're at, like I'll call it gen or like art, art pieces yeah. versus others? Because full disclosure, I'm so skewed into the art direction. It's actually kind of like disgusting. It, it's like <laughs> uh, asymmetrically um, yeah. bad decision, but could be great. Uh, I mean, the honest answer is I, I have no idea. Uh, it is, it, yeah, I really, it's got to be like majority art and generative art specifically, like maybe, yeah, it's got to be over 50% now that I think about it. And, and that is, uh, substantial. And, and if we go back to like <laughs> August last year, it was probably 95%. And <laughs> I think there was a point where like, I don't know, it would have been like 90 seven percent of my entire net worth was in specifically art blocks and uh yeah it was it was wild it was so much fun yeah i i uh unintentionally got to that point as well at some point i was like happened in like four days it was just like what (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah i mean it's 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 crazy addictive uh and i guess as, as you think about this is a tough question uh as you think about NFT art, how do you, how do you think about valuing it? Or maybe another way to ask the question is, how do you find the conviction to go and make a purchase if it's one that is to you a substantial amount of money, amount of money whatever amount that is? Enough where you like actually have to think about it. Yeah, it's a good question, and I think valuing NFTs in general is extraordinarily difficult because at the end of the day, this is a r- brand new market and the price of something is how much everyone agrees the price of it is. It's there's very little tangible to to peg things on for the most part. When we have like a year, eighteen months of history, if we don't really include the the pre twenty twenty one era, which it was very small the market. And so, I look at things like how likely is it for people, how likely is it that people will sort of value this or want this particular. NFT in five years, 10 years, 50 years? How likely is it that they will want an NFT from this collection? How likely is it that they will want an NFT from this artist? And how likely is it that they will want an NFT from this sort of platform? And so you have sort of Artblocks, FXHash, GMDAO as, as platforms. And then you have artists that might release on one, they might release on both. And then you have collections and then you have individual NFTs within those collections. And I think that they all have they all add some sort of credence or value. And you also have the blockchain. That, that's another, another layer. And, and they all sort of come into play where the more, the more likely you think that that, that that particular thing is going to be around in 10 years and coveted and wanted and desired. And, and there's all sorts of reasons why one might be over another or one might be more likely to be um, in demand than another. The value tends to trend upwards. And so you look at things like what is the value of the collection now? What What is the public perception and the community perception of that collection, of that artist, of that platform? And then you find things like Fidenza where, you know, very clearly the entire space seems to have agreed that, yes, this is 
the pinnacle or the grail generative art collection of this time. And, and sure, it, it sort of um, shoulder to shoulder with some other giants like Ringers, like Garden Monoliths, like Eternal Pump, perhaps Gazers. You could you can make a case for that. There's a lot of Meridians. There's so much incredible art, but yeah, it's sort of like the community at large decides and and votes with their wallets, and they're like, all right, these are the ones that seem the most valuable for a variety of reasons, the algorithm, the strength of it, the, the edition size, the outputs, the aesthetics, the, um, but then there's the brand value of, of the artist. And, and it, it feels weird talking about brand value of an artist, but it's, it's a real thing. And uh, the brand value of the platform. And, and that's where like Artblocks has, has weight. It carries weight. And Artblocks as a platform is likely to be around in five, 10 years, 50 years, hundred years. And even if it's not, the art lives on. Ethereum as a blockchain, I think, is is more likely to survive 5, 10, 50 years than Tezos, for instance. So while there's incredible art on Tezos, I would think that it just is inherently valued slightly less should the exact same piece be minted on Ethereum. And, and maybe it's 10%, maybe it's 20%, maybe it's 5%, maybe it's 50%. Who knows where that is? But I think if you are more bullish on one blockchain over the other, you should naturally value the NFTs on that blockchain higher than the other, I think. I don't know. Maybe in the future they just they're the same because they get bridged over or, or reminted or something. But anyway, no, I feel you're spot on with the. I mean, there's there's clearly a. There, I'm only aware of one artist that this doesn't pertain to, but there's clearly a premium associated with art blocks versus Tezos art blocks versus uh, a different platform. And and honestly, I think you even see that art blocks is not only a platform, but it's a launching point for other uh, or for the artists and it, it gives them the opportunity to to really vault themselves into the art space and you see a really quick embrace uh and, and the one that comes to mind is william mapon i mean his dragons is amazing everybody mm-hmm. and, and he's a fanboy so i'm hoping i'm not stealing your thunder here buddy. no no please it's uh you know his his i remember looking at dragons for three to 500 Tez and in, and buying it like and thinking like, Oh, you know, this beautiful art, a little bit pricey. And then all of a sudden you look at mm-hmm. an anti-cyclone and it just went, it took everything and made it go, you know, parabolic mm-hmm. in, in the, in the right ways too. Right. He's a very talented artist. And that's what I mean. Like you, you I, I think you did a really good job explaining that this, uh, the different priorities and, and platforms that can that can really launch this, and I'm excited to to see where it goes, and and what type of people can be onboarded and brought into those. I think mm-hmm. Tezos also has like this amazing space in generative art right now for onboarding. You know, P and I have a really we have the the honor and the privilege of helping advise people on purchases and. And helping them, you know, commit a substantial amount of their their capital, and I mean, we've advised and helped people everything from, you know, sub one thousand budget to multiples more, and and it's, you know, Tezos I think is a really great way to onboard people right now, and feel. I mean, I, I spend more time on FX hash than I do art blocks right now, and yeah. it's it's really I think one going to be one of those pivotal platforms. My hope that the blockchain survives and. It's going to be my 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 theory right now is to is that it's going to be the the platform that onboards and, and brings more people on because it's you know it, it allows for for that scalability. Yeah, I love I mean, Epic's hash. Yeah, it's it's amazing. 
FXS certainly has the je ne sais quoi right now. And, uh, it, it, you know, there, there's a lot of reasons for that, that, that we probably will get to, uh, in the next question, but I just wanted to say that that was a, a brilliant answer, Seneca. And I think also because it highlights the complexity of this. And I, I too think about this as to like, what is going to be permanent? What can still be relevant in 20, 30 years? Uh, and I agree with you that FX hash and Tezos in general, some people have question marks because, what if the blockchain goes away and doesn't feel as secure as Ethereum? Although I hear there's a lot of a lot of work being done to shore that up because uh, a little bit of alpha, which you probably already know, but I've been hearing that a lot of the larger players and funds are interested in getting over to FX Hash, and so, so listeners, secure those garden monoliths <laughs> while you can. There's only 255 of them. No P, not yet. Not, you're wait, right. Wait, not yet. Wait Don't do it. It's too dangerous. <laughs> it's, it's too dangerous, but. You mentioned uh, a ton of, you know, clearly you know all about the different platforms and whatnot. And do you do you have any favorite artists or favorite uh, collectors or favorite collections right now? Anything that just comes to your mind that has your attention? In terms of like right now, I mean, not really. Aside from Zancan, because he's absolutely incredible, and then it just as a human, as an artist, as as yeah, I absolutely love everything he does. In terms of like collections, the first thing that came to mind when you when you said favorite collections is the opera by Luke Shannon. It, it's this Artblox factory project that it I think came out. It was over a year ago, and there's not that many of them. I think I don't know if it's like a hundred or two hundred and fifty, or it's a relatively small edition size. They're absolutely incredible and unlike anything I've seen before in in the generative art space. And just so simple yet so magical and. They were so cheap for so long. I, I picked up two for like 0.05 ETH or something. And I remember like bidding on a really rare one and I bid like 0.06 and, and it was listed for 0.08. And then eventually it got bought and now it's like, I don't know, it would sell for 10 ETH maybe if, if there was liquidity. But yeah, that, that's a, a collection that I, I just absolutely love. It's sort of relatively not well known or, or unknown. Uh, I, I could be here for 10 minutes if I start rattling off collections that I love, like Meridian's incredible, uh, Watercolor Dreams, uh, I'm obsessed with. I love Asemica, I love Parabellum, I love Fake It Till You Make It. I'm a huge sucker for for projects that have words and font and text in them. I don't know what it is. Like, I think I'm just, I love words. I love writing. I love reading. And there's just something about those projects that that really appeal to me. So Oh, you know what I really love? <laughs> um, uh, polychrome music. That one is is mind blowing. It's it's. I think it's polychrome or polychromatic music. Poly, polychrome, I think, and it's just. I just I love. I think it's the best music, generated about NFT, on Artblocks at least, uh, uh, maybe that I've ever heard of. And it's just like, it's really just simple but really pleasant, and I can just put it on. And sometimes I use that as like my focus music. I'll just fire one up or fire two and loop them on and then it's just like yeah it's and again i i i could i could just keep going on and on, and on but do you know takata or takato the fx hash one the audio visual think, don't think that i do oh you you'll love this one this people really like that one uh how do you spell it jared do you remember i will spell it wrong can look it up it's 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 complicated but it's super well received by the way, this opera is really beautiful. The colorations and, and figures are amazing. It's I didn't know so about good. it personally. Stupid thin floor. I mean, like, oh, five yeah. buys <laughs> and it like quadruples in price. It's insane. But yeah, 
Here, I'm, I'm going to drop it in the chat for you, Seneca. Oh, thank so you. you. Can see it. This is one that has, it, it, it hits a lot of bells in the sense that it, it's unique. Uh, it's, a, it's a really good artist. I think it's Marcelo. Uh, no, yeah, yeah, He's Marcelo. I can never remember both of his last names, so I just avoid it now. Uh, but it, uh, the collectors really love it too. So it's one of those where, you know, it, it seems nice. like the crowd has taken hold of it. It hasn't really blown up. Oh, actually, the floor was at a 900 before, so it's back down to 600. So uh, that might be an interesting one for you. Uh, hopefully our listeners don't scoop them all up. Uh, <laughs> no, it's but, really nice. Well, speaking about like, you know, something that you've never heard of, are there any up and coming or newer artists that are on your radar that maybe, you know, you want to give an opportunity or a platform before you load your bags up? <laughs> or after. Unfortunately, unfortunately, probably not. And I'm just, my collector's hat has like not really been on for probably the last three or four months. I've been really focused on building Zen Academy, creating content. And I... I just haven't been able to keep up. Certainly not with FX Hash, and even with Art Blocks, I I'm, I'm just sort of bit, like I'm not really keeping up with anything that's not curated. And even then, it's like I missed the last two curated drops, and I hadn't missed a curated drop uh, since Gazes, which was a bad one to miss. <laughs> and then prior to that, it was um, since I first found Art Blocks, it was like Aerial View, and then or, or Synapses, and then I was there like every single day. If I was traveling, I would make myself like I remember I minted. Uh, yeah, I probably shouldn't have. Uh, well, so I'm into geometry runners from, I was, we were on like a, a day trip. We were traveling in Spain. We we're in Barcelona and we did like a one hour day, like a, we did day trip. We we're like one hour north and we we're at some beach. And I was like crappy internet on my phone using MetaMask mobile. And I'm into the geometry runners and somehow won the gas war on mobile. And then I didn't sell when it went to 15 ETH and I'm still holding, but uh, it, yeah, anyway, so I hadn't missed any curated drops until recently, and I missed the last two just being busy. And um, yeah, so so to answer your question, I, uh, unfortunately, there's no artists I have my eyes on at the moment, uh, but I look forward to sort of... One of the best things is going back and, and spending some time going like looking through the collections that have been released and that sort of... It's almost like the community has curated and being like, all right, these are the ones that... And this is especially relevant on FX Hash, I think, but... And then just being uh, like sort of um, made aware of all these wonderful collections and artists. And yeah, I look forward to exploring again soon. Yeah, you need any tips on the FX hash? Just ask <laughs> P or I. Or I, I, I probably spent I just more time might. there recently. I, it's crazy. I was going to shamelessly say you could uh, tune into Collector's Corner for, <laughs> for some up and coming artists. We're, I will do that. going to start looking at more of that kind of stuff. Uh, what, okay, what are your grails? Like, do you do you have any grails in your collection that you would? Uh it's got to be my Fidenza. That's a grail. What else? Archetype. I, I have uh, two, and I I love that collection so much. It's it's amazing. What else? Meridian. I have a really well. I, I have two Meridians. I love them both. God, what else is there? No, no squiggle. Jared's a squiggle maxi. I ha- I have three squiggles. Okay. I none of them are like super. Okay. How dare you? Yeah. Uh, so my third one, actually, I really like a lot. It's one I got from the the mint that that the auction mint that, that happened. I think was it in May, and it's totally it's it's a it's a quote unquote floor squiggle, but it's just it looks beautiful. It's like it goes through a lot of colors, and and the the squiggle is nice. <laughs> it's uh, it, it looks aesthetically pleasing. So um, garden monolith, that's another grail. Uh, I have two of those, and absolutely anything Zan can I consider a grail. Yeah. 
that's, there anything that's, that's out there that uh, you don't currently have that's uh, on your your must have list? As far as generative art goes, I don't think so. Um, I I don't have a ringers, and I would love one, but I'm I'm one of the people that that don't love ringers. Like I like them, and I appreciate them a lot. <laughs> I know, and uh, it's and and I would love to have one. I just can't justify the cost at this point. And yeah, but aside from that, I have sort of and like uh, prior to like if you asked me this, uh, I don't know, eight months ago or a year ago, whenever it was, I would have would have said archetype. That was the one, like that was the grail. I was like, I, I was literally working towards it for like five months, and eventually I bought one and was over the moon. It was by far the most expensive NFT I'd ever bought. I think it was the most expensive thing I'd <laughs> ever bought in life. And um, yeah, that was it. But then if, if we take away generative art, I have a lot of things that, that, that I would love. One of one, Seolite, a one of one, DK Motion. Oh my God, his oh, DK is... recent one. So good. Oh, uh, Alpha Centauri Kid. He is uh, probably my favorite artist in, in, in the space. Maybe, maybe. One of one X copy, oh. obviously. But I, I, I don't know what, about, what it is about ACK's stuff. It just, it's very yeah. appealing to me. Yeah. It hits differently, man. I hate that phrase, yeah. but it, it just hits, right? Yeah. Um, this is like the list of things that I like feel unattainable <laughs> to me. Let's throw Drifter yeah. Shoots yeah. in there, you know, yeah. like a few other things. Uh, that's, yeah. that's, that's awesome. Well, one of the things that we were especially excited about to have you on is like, you're a very deep thinker, clearly, from the content you put out there, both written and spoken. And we want to hear some of your thoughts about the future of gen art and, and where you see all this going. And one of the things that I've thought about a lot is, you know, right now, a lot of the big influencers in the space are really into gen art. Your, your punk 6529s, you yourself, DC Investor, I'm sure there are many others. And my, my question is, do you think that gen art or NFT art in general, doesn't have to be generative, specifically will stay in the meta? And my sort of somewhat, I think that it might because the people that the new entrants will look to will be folks like yourself, um, hopefully Collector's Corner, but other folks who are already interested in gen art and the prices kind of support that. And I, I think most people will still be initially coming for the money, but I'm curious to hear your take or, or if you want, feel free to play devil's advocate, but I'd love to hear what you think will, will happen. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I could not be more bullish on on generative art as as a whole, and for you know, partially for the reasons that you said it, but but it's 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 more than just sort of a lot of the big accounts and names being into it. It's sort of like why are all the big accounts and names into it? And if you take a step back, it's sort of if you really look at the people that that get generative art, it's like it's just all the OGs. It's just like the, it's sort of like the longer you spend in the space all roads eventually lead to understanding and appreciating generative art. And yes, there, there are obviously some exceptions, but I think by and large, most people eventually come around and get it or it instantly clicks. And it's just because of how perfect of a use case and a merge and a mashing of technology it is, it's just brilliant. And, and it's just, I, I don't see that ever going away. I think it's just going to continue to... Like it's not in the meta today, right now. I think generative art is sort of not really the meta, but it's sort of 
at the same time, it's it's always the meta. It's like there's always a core community of really strong, passionate supporters, and that number is growing slowly but surely. And it's just going to keep growing. I, I'm I'm just convinced of it. And you know, whether that means the price of everything out there now goes up or not, no one actually knows about that. It could be that the supply is so high and there's so much more coming in the market, and and everything is is overpriced. But I kind of tend to think that, that that's not the case. And, and you know, there is a limited supply of there's only 999 Fidenzas, there's only 10,000 squiggles, there's only 255 garden monoliths. And it's like when there's millions, millions of people that are like keen on generative art and, and excited by it and, and want to collect it, then supply and demand. And I, I do think though that some people overestimate just how how much demand there will be for generative art and nft art in general because if you look at like the global art market it's like 50 60 billion dollars a year which is substantial but it's it still pales in comparison compared to video games and, and other industries and he, like the beauty though is that there's so many people that are just they weren't ever interested in art but now becoming interested in art and, and i think that so we're just sort of we're gonna open like new frontiers and and, and the, the the ceiling is getting so much higher but Anyway, to answer your question, I'm exceedingly bullish on generative art forever. <laughs> I, I think that was an amazing, I'll call it, analysis of, of where we are today. I, I think that you know one of the, my operating theses right now is that with the advent of uh, empowering the individual in general with Web2, let's just call it, and then really then somewhat eradicating gatekeepers with the blockchain. I mean, you're seeing it, how many creators uh, came onto the scene with the advent of Instagram, let's just call it YouTube, mm-hmm. TikTok. No, oh, these are web too. And and it, the 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 order of magnitude to, from like Hollywood to that, I think that there's another order of magnitude jump when you get into NFTs and, and blockchain. And, and that's one of my core beliefs for generative art is like, yeah, there might be only X amount of billions of dollars right now in in the traditional art space, but I, I think that that grows as the appreciation grows. Also, it, again, operate. Mm-hmm. I'm in a, full disclosure. I'm launching a fund hopefully here in the the next week. So <laughs> you know that that's. But I'm I'm also seeing, and this is a perfect segue. Is a lot of the the LPs I'm onboarding are from the traditional art space who want exposure in the digital space, like. Do you think that that's going to be a trend or what other like onboarding trends do you, do you think that generative art and then, and then we can take a step back and do the the greater NFT market. We'll start to see. Yeah, I I absolutely think that that is something we're going to, like we've already seen a bit of it where large funds begin buying generative art. And I think that that's just going to continue. It really is a, like if someone is running a fund and wants to allocate like a large amount of capital, it you speak to like hunt like the hundred top minds in the space, and I would say all of them would say you need some percentage allocated to generative art. It's just it's part of a, like a well balanced portfolio. It's a good bet on the future. It's a good hedge against a lot of other things, and it's just. Yeah, it, it just makes total sense. And I think that we're going to continue to see demand for 
art, generative art, the existing generative art pieces go up and and not just from funds, there'll be individual collectors. Like there's so many people out there as well that like in the space right now who they would love to own a Fidenza, but they can't afford it. They would love to own a Squiggle, but they can't afford it. And and maybe today they can't, but in five, 10 years, maybe they they build a business and sell it for $50 million. And now all of a sudden they're like, all right, I'm going to go Fidenza shopping. I'm going to go get my squiggles. And, 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 you know, the same thing applies. Maybe someone has a hundred K windfall and, and then they go and buy a squiggle. And there, there is so much demand already from people who just can't justify the expense, let alone all the demand that is going to come from new entrants to the space, whether they're art collectors or not. And, and I think the traditional art world is slowly starting to come around to generative art and, and, uh, to recognize it. Uh, hopefully MoMA deploys some of their money into some, I mean, that's the dream, right? MoMA, come by, our, come by our bags. But do you want to tell folks about the MoMA news real quick? For yeah, so I, I think like a week or, or two, they announced that they were auctioning off a few pieces from their collection, uh, hoping to raise about seventy million million dollars, and were very seriously uh, looking to deploy it into NFTs. Uh, I think they said like digital assets, or they didn't actually use the word NFTs. But you got to think that they would be looking at things like a Fidenza or an X copy or like just, they're not going to go out and buy the sweet random PFP project floors. Maybe they get a CryptoPunk, maybe they get a Bored Ape. But I would also think that, especially for Momo, it's like, it's going to be the art collections. And it's less about them, like specifically coming in and buying our bags. That's, that's not what it's about. I think it's the validation that if they actually buy NFTs from art blocks or just nfts in general then it's like such an enormous stamp of approval and and it's just it's really going to solidify and it, I, it, i'm convinced it's inevitable so whether it happens in, in six months or, or six years uh moma and, and and museums all around the world will eventually and there'll be new museums that pop up specifically for nfts and digital art but um that validation is coming and it's uh it's why i think uh, why one of the reasons I'm so incredibly bullish on on generative art and NFTs? Yeah, no, that it's it's amazing to see, and I'm I'm sort of seeing a like a like a two pronged attack, if you will. Sort of laterally, we have traditional art coming in. You hear news about the MoMA. There's news about like seven Fidenzas being swept, and people are speculating that that was a, a family office or you know a wealthy individual mm-hmm. buying that. And then also, it seems like from the bottoms up, there's it feels like even for us, a movement where every day there's a couple more people who seem to be interested in generative art from the, let's call it, within Web3 already. And that pincer attack, if you will, makes me think that this is becoming culture, right? We're going from Mm -hmm. high-end elite New York types and their penthouses who are starting to see what we are collecting as culture. And then there are DGENs getting converted into art enthusiasts like the the same way that, that we were. And that just keeps happening to your point. It's almost like this natural progression where it's like, oh, this this is like something I could maybe make money off of and it's cool and I like to look at it. And now maybe think, people think I'm sophisticated or uh, probably putting some of my own psychology out there. Um, it's so, true it's like, not everybody. It, it really is. But you know, yeah. one thing uh, that I, I really want the listeners to hear and I want to maybe put a mental model for you as well a lot of people use the comparable to the traditional art world. And Jared and I talk about this a lot. So you mentioned 50 to 60 billion as the total market cap, whatever it is, right? Like, uh, I don't know exactly what it is, but let's say it's the total market cap of the art world. So I, I think it's going to grow substantially. I think comparing the valuations to the top art pieces in the traditional world to 
our new digital art world is is not uh, an apples to apples comparison. And uh, a good analogy is back when Uber had a crazy valuation as a private company, there was a, a NYU business school professor, uh, which is one of the top business schools in, in the U.S., who had said, well, this valuation is crazy. It doesn't make sense. It's, it was valued at like the whole size of the taxi market. And then later, Uber kind of sort of proved that valuation. And what had happened is they substantially grew the market. And, and that's actually why the valuation was justified. And I think this is the danger of making these comparables is because they're not exactly the same. And if you think, you know, supply and demand, right, there's Sure, there, there is a somewhat of an infinite supply of, of digital art, but you could argue that there is in traditional art as well. Yeah. But I think there are more eyeballs on it now because it's a lot easier for you and I to go to DECA or gallery or on cyber and, and take a look at art, whereas we could never, I mean, most of us didn't do that before. We wouldn't step into uh, an actual uh, art gallery. Um, but so, so anyways, I, I, you know, just, just something that uh, I think about a lot and it helps me. Uh, continue to justify betting my career on on this uh, crazy <laughs> generative art world. And one thing in the same vein is you alluded to this a little bit before. Uh, we talked about how brands matter, right? Like if you're launched on art blocks, your pieces almost always do better than otherwise. If your art blocks curated, it's even better than that. And you are somebody who works with creators all the time uh, through Zen Academy and 333 and, and all the advising work you do. And I had this thing thought, I'm curious to hear what you think, and maybe you're seeing it play out. But I had this thought that there's a lot of really great art. Like I'll go on FX Hash and I'll see something I love for two or three tes, and uh, you know, which is about like whatever four to five US dollars. And I think to myself, there's no way all this great art is going to command a higher value. So, so what really drives value to art? And so I have this hypothesis that it, the distinguishing factor will, to some extent, be the art, but more so be the artist and the community they build, and in essence, the brand that they build and the way they interact with their community members. Are you, are you advising any artists? Are you starting to see this where you know a collection of art or perhaps that whole body of that artist's work is thought of similar to a PFP project as they consider building out the community? Of course, there are some differences there with like delivering utility and expectations and whatnot. But yeah, are you seeing any of that? And either way, how do you think about it? Um, I'm not advising any artists and I actually, I haven't advised any artists specifically. I, I've i sort of informally given advice to sort of newer artists coming to the space asking me like, what do I think they should do? And, and actually, like, last night I recorded a YouTube video on, on how a new artist should think about like entering the space and if they want to sell their work and, and find collectors. A lot of it I think boils down to effectively networking and and getting to like immersing yourself in the space. And like at the end of the day, there is no limit to the amount of really awesome art that is being created. And art is very subjective. So, you know, chances are if you're a, a decent, good to great artist, there will be someone out there, there'll be a lot of people out there that like your art. And, and it's about how can you get it in front of them? How can they find it? How can they see it? How can they discover it? How can they want to collect it? And I think that comes down to sort of networking, uh, building like your personal brand, and then immersing yourself in the community of other artists and other collectors and getting known. And so that when you do release a piece, it's sort of, it's just going to be more eyeballs on it. And then you know, then then it comes to sort of pricing it appropriately, which is a whole other thing, and, and who knows where exactly that is. 
I generally think should start lower and then increase price as you go on, but you know that you don't want to start too low because then you sort of anchor yourself at, at a uh, certain price point. Um, and I think that uh, that relationship that you have with your collectors is extremely important. And it doesn't have to be sort of an active relationship where you're sort of talking to all of your collectors all the time and and giving them utility and you don't need a discord um i mean you can do all of that and that's great and that's like one approach and i think uh dk is, is a prime example of someone who really very successfully built up a a brand around, and, and really has this wonderful symbiotic relationship with his community and his collectors where he rewards them he interacts with them they support him and everybody kind of wins but then you might have someone uh, like Xcopy who is less, as far as I'm aware, less interactive with the community and collectors and speaks more through his art and, and, and everything in between. And I think that it's, it's just important to think about how you want to have that relationship. And I, and I guess I would generally say that for a newer artist, being mindful of your collectors is important, but catering to them is is dangerous and i think that a lot of artists might fall into a trap of oh so i i need to increase my prices every time or my collectors will be unhappy or i can't sell a piece for less than i sell my last piece for or the person who bought my last piece are going to think that they overpaid or i need to have utility i need to airdrop something to my holders i need to um add them to an allow list for my next drop and Sure, those are good tools in a, in a toolkit and and worth exploring. But I think that uh, at the end of the day, if you're an artist, you 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 should be focusing primarily on on creating, and then like secondarily on 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 marketing and showcasing your art to the world and finding your collectors. And then I think thirdly on um, pleasing your collectors. And and maybe that's not the right order, but I think uh, it's okay. So, so so pleasing your collectors. Uh, I think that is very important, but I think changing your actions in order to please others is is where it gets dangerous. So I think be mindful of doing things that are going to like make everyone happy, and 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 you you are want to be more giving than receiving, but you don't want to change who you are or or do things that make you feel icky just to just because other people are doing it or you think that you should be doing it. And I think, uh, yeah. Anyway, that was a lot. No, uh, it, it it makes a lot of sense, and it. It actually resonates with me because as we do our deep dives, uh, you know, we've now done uh, six six of them, and it strikes me. I have to remember what had been released yet. We've done six, and it, <laughs> and it strikes me that these uh, artists, you know, we're focused on really on the top blue chip collections at first, and it strikes me that these artists are all really good with their collectors, but they all do it differently. And I think the common thread is it feels authentic. Like mm-hmm. uh, Chettle Golid of Archetype, he is a little more private. You know, he, he'll respond, but it, it's like more in his own time. Uh, whereas it seems like Tyler Hobbs, you know, he's got his own Discord. He's like always in there. He's always engaging. Mm-hmm. And it just seems to fit their personalities well. And I think on some subliminal level, people pick that up, whether they're being authentic or not. Mm-hmm. And I think perhaps some artists might not like to uh, put themselves out there as much, but I think if you do it in an authentic way, it'll still come across as genuine and people always appreciate that. I think Matt Kane's the perfect example of this. I mean, the guy is just an absolute cerebral individual. And when he 
comes into Discord or into his community, he injects so much information, but it's again like next level cerebral and you know, he's not glad handing everybody. And I think that's beautifully brilliant in his own way. And and I I think that as the my hypothesis is as the space grows, you're going to have communities surrounding artists and what they represent, just as you know, there's a, a community around certain YouTube creators or um, you know, TikTok stars. I mean, you're going to identify, in my opinion, you're going to identify with art by the artist. And I think that's also, again, on a collector's corner, why we're trying to highlight, you know, the background of the artist, because it's an important part of the output, just as much as the algorithm is to be able to connect with that. And I mean, it's it's a really, really beautiful part of what we do. And, and I think that I've loved seeing in in the NFT digital asset art space, I'll call it, it empower the individual and give them opportunities that maybe may right may not have existed previously. So, you know, it's such a huge advocate for the space. And uh, you know, I, I don't know how many of them. I don't know the statistic, but the, these artists are are feeling empowered, and it's just beautiful. It's actually kind of an interesting segue. Like we've talked about it right now, art blocks, right? Like that, that is for generative art. That is the premier, the pinnacle, you know, do you, and we've also touched on FX hash, which maybe isn't as familiar, but do you see like the domination of art blocks still persisting? Or do you see kind of like a, an ulterior trend since you're, you're so involved with a, a lot of stuff in the space and, and you have such a dynamic, I'll call it foresight, unlike mm-hmm. others. I think it seems unlikely to me that uh, art blocks will ever not be the just the the I guess behemoth that it is the 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 pinnacle the the gold standard the the premium I guess generative art releasing platform and it's sort of just because it was effectively the first it is it is already home to so many phenomenal artists that have come through there. Um, they've been around for so long. They have this history. They have an incredible team. They have Snowfro. No one else has <laughs> Snowfro. I'm such a big fanboy. But they, they really just have this history and culture and this curation board and brand that is enormous. And and it really is... It's going to be incredibly difficult for someone to sort of beat them or for lack of a better word, without them, I think, really screwing things up or something, which I very much doubt. That's not to say that there's not going to be a lot of other platforms that are really excellent as well. And there already are. Like FX Hash is incredible. It's just, it's it's different. It's a very, it's a different approach to art blocks. It's just by nature very different. It's it's amazing. And it's, you know, it, it could be that there's more people, there probably will be more people buying, selling, trading, collecting FX Hash art than art blocks. And, and like GM DAO is another great example of of a platform that's releasing or GM Studio through GM DAO, uh, really excellent art. They're working with artists, doing everything right, and they're sort of, I guess, I would consider them a a boutique generative art platform, and and that's amazing. And they're releasing really high quality stuff, and we'll probably see more from, we'll definitely see more from them. Probably see more of other platforms pop up, and it's it's all good. And it's like it's it's and also you see generative, uh, you see artists go off and and do their own thing. And like obviously QQL by Tyler Hobbs and, and Dandelion is a really great example where it's an art blocks artist, but they're not releasing through art blocks because of the mint mechanism. But I imagine, but perhaps other reasons. 
and and we'll see that as well. But I think at the end of the day, Artblox is has done so much for generative art and, and NFT generative art, and is continuing to do so much. And they have the the resources and the capacity and the network and everything. Like they're out there going to galleries and shows and and snowfarers flying around the world, speaking at events, teaching people about generative art, and that's just they will always. T- I, I find it very unlikely in the next decade for an, probably the next couple of decades for another generative art NFT platform to be more I don't know what the word is prestigious or well known than than Artblocks. And I agree. I, I'm by the way I'm I'm just as much of a, a Snowfro <laughs> a fanboy. I just bought the ENS Squiggle Maxi. You know, I mean it's. <laughs> It, it's um it, it's a it's an amazing space and art blocks is definitely I think will be viewed historically as a game changer and one of my bets with my own bags is on snowfro and the squiggle specifically because mm-hmm. when you I have not met one person in this space who has had any sort of FaceTime with him and had a negative things I mean like everything from artists to collectors, to traditional art. I mean, the amount of work he's putting in for the space, I mean, he will go down, in my opinion, as the goat of generative art space. I mean, he's just, he's next level passionate. The guy, I don't know if the guy's on, you know, Red Bull, Monster, Caffeine, or just like <laughs> high on life, but, you know, I, I'm like, yeah. bro, I want some of what you got because it's in his passion. I truly believe it's passion. And um, yeah, I, I think similar to like the passion you have. Uh, for the space and, and onboarding people, he does also, and and that that's contagious. It's undeniable. It's unquantifiable, and I think that's part of what makes it so magical to to be around such people. So, I do think that now that I've, I've, I've just oozed with love for Snowfro and Artblocks, <laughs> I also think that as you know, they say the rising tide raises mm-hmm. all ships, right? So I think that you know, for generative art, there will be new things that onboard. There, that's just like there's. Like Artblox partnered with Pace Galleries and Venus Over Manhattan, right? Two great ones. But there's a ton of galleries throughout the world. Um, so I think that there will be other platforms that come up. But at the end of the day, Artblocks is Artblocks. Maybe I'm being naive, but I think it becomes, um, as you said, it, it's just uh, it's a it's a Goliath at this point that is undeniable. Yeah, about Snowfur, I. I remember during the mania of last year, July, August, September, October, um, there were like gas wars and there were people unhappy all the time. Prices were going crazy. People were making money, losing money. And he was in the Discord and he he basically never chats in block talk, very rarely. But you'd go to like technical support or like the support section and he's just spending hours having dialogues with community members or like angry people and never once did he lash out, lose his temper or or it's just sort of, he may have disagreed with people. He may have, you know, they, they may have spoken for hours and not come to a conclusion, but he was always just, he's just a role model basically for me. And he's just, just, I've, yeah, I've never met him and, and I really want to, and I was hoping to come to Marfa in November and I'm, Still hoping, but but uh, maybe it's it's like I I, I couldn't man. come last. We've got year. a couch for you if you want. Don't you worry. Yeah, I've got. I appreciate it, and I know how like scarce accommodation is there. I have uh, I have some someone's got a, another couch or a room that I can use. But 
Yeah, it's just it's it's. it's you like, gotta come. Right. I, I I know I, you're crazy busy and and you're off. I know not U.S. based and all that, but I'm like, this is a bear market. I'm like, this is the last time. It's probably not going to be insane there. So I was like, I have to go. I, I convinced I'm, Jared to go too. I was like, you gotta come. I I after I missed last year because I, I couldn't travel because of COVID travel restrictions to the U.S. I was like, I'm definitely going to the next one. And then like for the last four months, I've been saying. I'm going to move heaven and earth to make it to Marfa. And I'm still, I would say I'm like 50-50 now. Whereas like two weeks ago, I was like 99% sure I was, I was going to make it. But uh, I basically, I need to go to Dubai for two weeks to get some visa stuff sorted. And it's, yeah, it's my parents' 50th anniversary on the 7th of November. So maybe if my brother and sister are going to Australia, then, well... Hopefully they don't listen to this because it's meant to be a surprise. <laughs> we'll stop there. We'll stop yeah. there. Yeah. And then it's the one year anniversary of minting Zen Academy, November 9th. And mm-hmm. so we're planning an event around that. And it's just like, it's the the universe is really against me making it to... Whew. But all that said, I would still say I'm 50% likely to just finagle away there. Well, if your private jet doesn't go right into Marfa, we cool. also have a uh, <laughs> we have a, a probably a Chevy Tahoe or something that we can we can escort you since you're too well, cool for our couch. You know, but, sorry, I was gonna say if you are thinking about going to Bright Moments in Mexico City, you could probably justify showing up like a day late to Marfa or two days late. I think it's on the 11th and the 12th because Mexico yeah. City is right next to there. So just just throwing that out there. Just, yeah, just no, I mean Mexico there. City. Uh, that one I would also love to go to, but I'm I'm. Basically, that I've, that sale has shipped. I've, I've written that one off. I've written Art Basel off. There's all these things that I want to go to. I'm like, yeah, but but Marfa is the one that, if I can justify it, I'll, I'm gonna, I'm just gonna like, I'm I'm just I I tempted to just like go and sell some NFTs just to feel good about paying some dumb amount of money to fly there for three days and yeah, it's yeah that's basically what I did. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, well, I, and and I, I want to do the bright moments because I just want to try it out. So I'm like, okay, I'm gonna get whatever the cheapest mint pass is. I'm gonna get it. Just, just yeah, to check it out. You're, you're splurging for a mopon, don't you? You're right. I am. But I don't, I'm <laughs> gonna force you to do it. I can't pay twenty ether for it. So and I, it might go that high. So we'll see. Yeah. What do you think the uh, QQL is gonna mean out of? Oh man, such a tough yeah. question. It's tomorrow, I want right? to revise my prediction. I. I had, Day uh, on one of our market updates, I predicted 10 to 15. I think it will get closer to five. I just don't know if it's like seven, Ooh, five or like... Interesting. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I think so too. Not because it's not valuable, but because I don't think there are enough participants in the market. And I could be wrong. What I don't know is how many really deep bagged folks are going to buy like five of them. And, and yeah. that I'm really not sure of. But I think that even some... Uh, collectors who have like great collections could easily sell something and afford uh, a QQL are waiting for five to 10 because I don't know if you feel this way, but it strikes me that even the people who are left, despite a lot of them having money, they're just really savvy collectors and they know the market. So they don't really overpay Mm -hmm. for anything, which is kind of frustrating, (laughs) but they're they're just good. It seems like, I don't know. I think we we approached this topic of like, if you had 10 ETH, do you mint a QQL pass or buy XYZ projects? Mm. I mean, at 10 ETH, there's a really, there's really amazing art out there right now that I think have 
it depends on what you're you're going for, right? In my opinion, like I I desperately wanted, and maybe I'm just projecting to hit five ETH because I do want to mint on day one myself. I have some already picked mm-hmm. out, and I do want to pick up two more passes to play the long game that I just give to my kids, you know, mm. one day. So I, I think that I'm slightly projecting, but I think that there's going to be a, an amazing, you know, gamification associated with the, the mint. And, and especially to, to openly say this is going to be a, an open mint with no deadline and you can yeah. hold on to it for as long as you want. I think that there's going to be people who play that and then, you know, the MoMA in 40 years buys it off you because they want one of the last 10 mints or they finally found something. Yeah. I mean, I don't know how long you've gotten into the the algorithm. You sound like a very busy person. But, you know, the it, it's incredible. It, it, it does reward the amount of outputs that you can generate and familiarity you have with the, with the algorithm. So I think that there's going to be individuals like that, that, uh, you know, you're going to see these like crazy mints pop up months years or whatever later um yeah but yeah insane algorithm it it is so cool like i i was fading it at first and then i had a lot of fun like playing around with it but i also didn't have the patience to go through so many it's uh you know but some people just absolutely love it i i would be shocked if it mints higher than 15 the resting dutch auction i would also be shocked if it's lower than five i really think it'll be somewhere in that range and my guess is five to ten, but it, it's hard to say. Do you think you'll get one? Yeah, I think so. I was, I was planning. Like, I was also probably like leaning to uh, against it, just for no good reason. I guess I just hadn't really put a lot of thought into it. But now that I've just seen more outputs, and it's just it's blowing my mind. And it's just like the, the whole Twitter contest thing was brilliant marketing, obviously, and and it got people to generate thousands tens of thousands and you just see this diverse range of apples it's just like wow and yeah so i think i think like probably around the 10th range is maybe a little lower maybe, maybe like the seven to seven eight seven eight yeah, yeah i There's think what's gonna be really interesting is people who have myself included generated these outputs favorited them and then they're going to market. I believe there's going to be a market for outputs. And they're mm. going to, I don't want to say like sell their output to somebody who has a mint pass because there's a, and this is what I absolutely love. I thought what Dandelion and Hobbs did on this with creating a uh, royalty for the minter mm. is going to create this amazing dynamic of like, hey, I have an amazing output. You have the mint pass. Like, what, you know, like there's going to be a lot of horse trading. I think that in, in you know I think that there's going to be an amazing opportunity for somebody who does maybe doesn't have the capital to mint one, but to generate something that is so timeless and breathtaking that they'll then contract that and and create a a marketplace and an opportunity mm-hmm. for to to amass some some level of of wealth or, or income associated with that. I mean I'm I'm seeing it like with that contest. I mean it's a brilliant point like. Tens of thousands of outputs, but yet there's only 999. Yeah. There's a couple of them in there that people would be like, "Hey, yo, uh, send me an ETH or two, or let's yeah. do a let's do a smart contract for this." And you mint yeah. it, and it's mine type thing. So I I think that there's a whole. I'm most excited to sit on the sidelines and with my little 
bag of popcorn and just kind of observe what sort of micro economies Mm. evolve out of this. It's going to be fascinating. And like the the lifelongness of it, where the min passes just have to go up in value over time. It's just, it's very unlikely. Yeah. So yeah, I think myself into like, all right, I got to sell stuff. I got to get some. (laughs) It's a, it's a really unique experiment. I mean, I, don't know how many projects will follow this, but it certainly feels like first of its kind and being able to mm. play with the inputs. It's really like you're the generative artist, you know, mm-hmm. not just like you're creating random inputs on a test net or whatever. It's like, oh, you're literally tweaking them. And mm-hmm. I think that's super cool. But yeah, you I mean, you said it in that it's such a bear market and it, it's true. Uh, there's actually a uh, William Upon had a super rare drop. Did you know about this? No. And so I don't know how much of this was marketing, but it wasn't that well known. Uh, and uh, I had kind of been watching it. So he had seven pieces. One had a reserve price of 20. The other six had a reserve price of 10. Only two of them got purchased. The rest didn't meet reserve. Uh, well, you couldn't even put a bid in if you didn't meet reserve. So it's unclear what people would have bid. And to me, that felt like a sign of the market, just liquidity being dry. And maybe a lot of it's being saved for QQL. So I'm not sure, but I, I think seeing the price action QQL and the volume will probably give us a pretty good sense of what what kind of liquidity there is in the gen art market yeah. at the moment. I have a feeling there's like a lot of big players sitting on the sidelines that that have like millions of dollars that have just been waiting. And yeah. yeah I think that it's intriguing to me that I, I do think that also, but because like with the the redemption factor, I mean I mean large fund X or family office Y can just go buy up 10 passes at 50 ETH and know that they're going to get a credit on the tail end and and it doesn't matter to them. So I I think that there's that aspect that's not being factored in and and that whole gamification. um, Mm. It's really intriguing. But, you you know, there is some psychology with these wealthy investors where I see some people haggling sometimes with me uh, over, I'm like, I know you can afford this. I'm like asking you a fair price. Like, why Why are you doing this? Yeah. And I think that a lot of these folks, they don't want to look dumb and overpay for something. So even if they have the capital, I don't think they're necessarily going to unleash it at a higher amount because it, a lot of it is about the victory. It's about playing the game well and playing it mm. properly and that kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. I, it's, I, it's going to be fascinating to watch. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, Zeneca, I you've been super generous with your time. Is is there any anything any parting thoughts you'd like to impart to our viewers or any anything else you want to chat about? No, I mean I could chat generative art literally all day. This is this has been so much fun and and yeah, no, no parting thoughts. Just thank you for having me. This has been yeah, it's a real pleasure and yeah, uh, I really appreciate being being invited here. Yeah, thank you so much for coming, uh, Jared. Any any parting thoughts for our listeners? Uh, the parting thoughts I have is Zeneca's thinking next level. He's playing chess while everybody else is thinking checkers. Uh, <laughs> and I mean that uh, out of respect. I'm not just fluffing you because you're here. I I truly learned a lot from you today. I appreciate your time. And I look forward to, to following your growth because if you can deliver on half of what you just indicated, I think you're going to quickly pull away from the herd and and it's i look forward to being a just a little aspect and step along that journey so 
congratulations, dude. I really do. Uh, I think you're, you're thinking about it the right way. It's admirable. I appreciate that. Thank you. And uh, just to piggyback on that, you know, really excited to see where things go for you and how you continue to add value and, and bring uh, help and goodness into the space, which can be very cutthroat at, at times. And my only parting thoughts is for our listeners, definitely check out Zeneca's work. Uh, check out his letters. They're amazing. Uh, you know, pick out your favorite one. And when you're feeling down, go read it. You'll, you'll, you'll feel better, even if you've read it before. Like I do that sometimes. Check out Zen Academy 333 Club. Zeneca likes to help folks and projects out. So uh, where, where can people find you if they are trying to get in touch with you? Best place is just Twitter at Zeneca underscore 33. Um, actually, I, I started a new a new newsletter on Twitter using like the Twitter native review platform. So this one is is a lot shorter form content. So my my letters are like very long form. This one is like if you don't like reading for 25 minutes, you can read these in like two or three minutes and <laughs> definitely uh, check them out as well. Excellent. And you got your YouTube channel. You got a lot of great content on there too for people who don't yep. like to read at all, which is me sometimes. <laughs> so. Exactly. Like, yeah, we're really branching out and trying to create something for everyone. Um, we, we have TikTok starting this week, like literally. <laughs> um, oh my God. We, I've been, I've been talking, Jared, I've been talking about this, right? I've been like, like I think that's a brilliant move. That's amazing. The problem is I don't know how to use TikTok at all. So I'm like, okay, I, gotta find I don't know either. It, it, you got to re- repurpose content. So like, you know, you could take this clip, the, the podcast, take recordings and then just upload them. I yeah. just had my epiphany, man. Uh, I think Zeneca is like the Web3 Gary V, man. <laughs> Isn't Gary V the Web3 Gary V? <laughs> we'll call him 2.5. Yeah. We'll, we'll call right. I'll take that. I love I, I, a lot of inspiration from Gary. I've been like I'm following him for like 10, 15 years. And like, not actively, just on and off. But um, I used to see him. I remember there was like this app called Periscope where you could like stream video, and he was like all about that. And he was very at the front, cutting edge of all this new tech. And it's so clear how well it's paid off for him, and and how intentional he is about his approach. And he's also all about like leading with giving, and 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 uh, uh, yeah. So yeah, appreciate that's a big compliment. So thank you. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, we, we can't wait to see the TikTok stuff. We'll probably take some notes and, and try to do that. <laughs> Zeneca as well. vlogs coming coming next September. The, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the the vlog as well. Well, hey man, we we would love to have you back sometime. We we really appreciate it. And for everybody listening, thank you for tuning in. We hope you liked this episode. If you did, please like, subscribe, review, and or just tell us what you thought. Uh, where I'm at Aston Cloud on uh, Twitter and Discord. Jared is at Jared underscore pause on Twitter, J underscore pause on Discord. We're at collectors underscore XYZ. Thank you so much for tuning in and, and a big thank you again to Zeneca. We really, really appreciate you. Thank you so much. Thank you for tuning into Collector's Corner. We hope you enjoyed this episode and you found it useful in your collecting journey. Please check out our website, www.collectorscorner.xyz for show notes and digital art galleries related to this episode. You can also follow us on Twitter, at collectors underscore XYZ. If you'd like to help us out, please leave us a five-star review on our website or your favorite podcasting platform and or leave some feedback on how we can do better. 
The Collector's Corner team and guests are not registered investment advisors. All views expressed on this podcast are personal opinions and are not specific inducements to make particular investments or investment strategies and should not be relied upon for investment decisions. This show is solely for informational and entertainment purposes only. Before making any financial decisions, please consult a professional.